Hello and welcome to Florida Basketball Hour. I am Neil Blackman, Saturday Down South. In just a moment, Eric Fawcett, GatorCountry.com, will join me. On tonight's show, we will talk about Keontae Johnson and his possible return for his senior season. We will talk about the departure of longtime Florida assistant Darius Nichols, who is now the head coach at Radford. Uh, congratulations to Darius and to his family. Um, we are so happy for the Nichols. Uh, this is so well-earned. Uh, so we will talk about the loss of Darius Nichols, what it means for the program, possible return of Keontae. We'll dive into Myron Jones a little bit, what impact he'll have as a Gator, a little bit more from our last show, kind of build on what he does well, that will help Florida offensively. And then we will talk about some of the potential assistant coaching candidates uh, that will now have to fill two spots on Mike White's staff. So excited to get into all that with you and hope you enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to Florida Basketball Hour. I am Neil Blackman, Saturday Down South, joined by Eric Fawcett, GatorCountry.com. Eric, man, it seems like every time we do one of those these shows, there's a lot of news to, uh, to process. But uh, tonight, as we start to record at 9 o'clock, there's some pretty horrifying news out of, uh, I guess, California, Lexington, Kentucky. Uh, nothing confirmed yet um, beyond that Terrence Clark, Kentucky player, was involved in a car accident. Um, some speculation that B.J. Boston was too. I don't want to get too into any sort of speculation. What I do want to do because the Kentucky folks, and because it's the right thing to do, but because the Kentucky folks were also so gracious as we had our traumas uh, – as a program at Florida this year, thought we could just open the show with prayer. So I'll kick us off. And if you want to add anything, um, please do so. But Heavenly Father, we just uh, come to you, Lord, as as the great physician and the healer and, and counselor over, over those who are grieving. Uh, and we lift up Terrence Clark and his family to you. We lift up Kentucky basketball, uh, all the people involved with their program, his teammates, uh, all those whose lives uh, Terrence has touched, everyone at Clutch Sports um, that was involved with Terrence in the past couple weeks, uh, and uh, obviously BJ Boston, uh, another one of your children, and um, his family, Father God, and, and we pray for healing, uh, and we pray for for your comfort. Yeah. God, we uh, we thank you for these uh, the the young men involved. Um, we pray that uh, uh, that your governance would be just over over everything, whether it's uh, uh, whether it's a healer, whether it's a, a bringer of peace to these families. God, I just pray that you'd be um, ever present uh, in all the. Uh, it, with everyone involved, all the families involved, um, as uh, more information comes out, God, we just pray that uh, your peace would be uh, would be over it for for everyone, and uh, that you can show your greatness in this situation as as you have before, God. So um, we just come to you, yeah, humbly in prayer as uh, as details of everything roll in, God. Uh, we just pray that your hands are over everything in Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. So that's that's how we uh, start our show tonight, and we get into another busy time with Florida basketball. We don't have any transfers to talk about, although we are going to get back into Myriad, sorry, Myron Jones a little bit uh, again tonight with a couple of listener questions, Eric. But um, wanted to start with the news that Darius Nichols, probably the staff's ace recruiter for the last seven years, uh, certainly one of the best teachers of defense 
of assistants in the country, uh, has departed Florida yesterday and taken the job at Radford in the little town in Virginia where he grew up. Yeah, super cool. I mean, it's something I, I feel like he's obviously really excited for uh, and for good reason. And and I think the community is really excited as well. And, and that's really cool. So uh, I, I think something that's obviously just so cool about Darius Nichols as a player, uh, like, like, again, I just think this would be the coolest experience as a basketball player. Just the fact that he played for Bob Huggins, such a good defensive coach. And he also played for John Beeline, one of the best um, offensive coaches like to have that opportunity to play for one of the best someone known as one of the best offensive coaches of all time and in, in beeline and then to play for someone who's kind of known as one of the best defensive coaches and um in bob huggins i mean that's just that's just really great experience so uh, for him to get this opportunity, it just totally makes sense. All his time at Florida, uh, working with some great players, being an ace recruiter, like you said, uh, definitely just seemed like it was his time. And I don't think anyone was uh, was surprised when he took the job. It just seemed like uh, as soon as it opened, he was the guy, whether he was the unofficial coach in waiting or not. I mean, that was who the fans were clamoring for as soon as uh, as soon as the coach moved on, as uh, who the media seemed to be clamoring for. And uh, yeah, it didn't take too long before he was uh, before it was announced. Yeah, I think, um, you know, it's one of those situations where that was their first phone call and they didn't feel like they had to do much vetting um, and swooped him up awfully quick. I, you know, I know I texted you when the rumor came out that, you know, I hoped that it was just that he would parlay it into a pay raise and not go. Um, but, you know, the more I thought about it, the more I realized that was certainly me being hopeful as opposed to being more realistic, Eric, uh, especially with, you know, young black assistants. We had Rob Doster on at the beginning of the season talking about how we still need more black coaches. Uh, we still need more black head coaches, whether it's in the power six, which obviously Radford is not that job, but even at the mid major level. Um, and, you know, the big South has had some, some good mid majors. Obviously Radford hasn't, been able to make as much noise as other places. But uh, I think Darius clearly felt like he was ready for this challenge, just as Jordan Mincy did with Jacksonville. And, and he moves on and, and, you know, your thoughts on kind of initially on the impact of, of losing Darius and maybe compounding that with losing Jordan Mincy. Yeah, I mean, I think we've been so good about this, you and I, Neil, on the, on the podcast. When, whenever we're talking about two young black assistants, we'd never want to pigeonhole them and say, oh, those are the recruiters. And and I certainly say this not wanting to suggest that they were just recruiters because we know they were so much more. But the fact of the matter is losing Jordan, uh, losing Mincy, losing Darius Nichols, that is a lot of recruiting horsepower. Like, just look at the really talented players that Florida has brought in and look who were the guys who were there, the, the lead recruiters on those. Uh, it was those two on a, a very high percentage of them, not taking away from Al Pinkins and Jesse May um, or Mike White, uh, but the lead recruiter was uh, was those two guys on a whole lot of these players. So it, it is a lot of recruiting horsepower. And I think that uh, when you lost, when we first lost Mincy, it was like, well, you know, you still got Nichols. That's, uh, you know, one awesome recruiter, but I mean, yeah, Florida lost two awesome recruiters. So I, I think that uh, the other reason why we can talk about recruiting is just, it is a little bit easier to see their impact when it's like, we knew that they were the lead recruiters on these players. We often know who the lead recruiter is on these players. So um, whether they get that player or not, you kind of say like, Oh, this assistant was on this recruit. We lost him or this assistant was on this coat or this player and we got him. So 
so yeah so so we know that impact um in, in terms of exactly you know in game what what those guys were totally responsible for um what their roles were i can't be totally sure um but yeah we know that Darius nichols was working with the bigs before al pinkins came we know that um they, they both had some uh we both they, they both had some some stretches working with the guards and florida's been really successful with guards and we also know like you alluded to earlier neil that uh Darius nichols was, was a big part of the defense so uh, yeah that's uh just some of the things that that come across my mind when I think about losing two assistants. What do you think of the Radford job? I mean, we, you know, I, I alluded to, I think that there are some certain, certainly some challenges there. It's not a place like Winthrop where um, for a couple of reasons, first, you don't really have access to Charlotte like you do at Winthrop, which is half an hour away from a metropolitan area like Charlotte, uh, a little tougher, maybe to recruits at Radford. Um, your kind of thoughts on, on that job. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because I just watched a whole bunch of Flanders Fleming, of course, at Charles and Southern. Uh, so I got to see a whole lot of uh, of Big South. Uh, best thing, like I kind of noted, uh, not a super high level of play um, in that conference. Just uh, kind of no way around it. Uh, though I did watch a Winthrop game today just for a different reason. And I was just like, man, Win Winthrop really is good. But I, I mean, the other thing that just kind of jumps out to me when I was watching all those Charleston Southern games is like, you even look around that league and like, there's a lot of like, well, I don't want to say this disrespectfully, but like high school gyms, like there's a lot of gyms that are like a thousand people or less or around that in that league. So yeah, you're just dealing with a league with a lot of teams that are, are not really big budget. Uh, Radford actually has a really nice barn. Um, I don't know, probably seats three or 4,000. It looks really cool actually. So, the, so that's a cool barn, but um, yeah, I, I, I think that uh, a high level of, of play in that conference, um, not a ton of money. I think I looked to see that, uh, that Jones was making 190,000 last year. I don't know if that's totally accurate. I don't want to be quoted on that, but um, if you want to know exactly maybe, or not exactly, if you want to know roughly the area where, where Darius Nichols might be paid, uh, that's kind of the dollar amount, which, you know, Neil, you mentioned, uh, do you think that, you know, Nichols could have parlayed it into a race at Florida? It's like, yeah, you know, I don't think Florida would have necessarily, I'm not totally sure what he's making at Florida. I don't think it was, uh, as high as 109, but there's a lot of high major assistants that, that make that or somewhere in that range. So, you know, could have gotten some kind of a, a, a raise, but the, the thing I always think about with, with these coaches is the way that the carousel works these days and the way that people evaluate coaching, it, it, it's like, you're never more than like two years away from like hypothetically getting like a huge raise. Like, like, let's say that, that Nichols next year uh, keeps Radford as the, the number two team in the big South. And then the year after they make the NCAA tournament and they're a 14 and they beat Illinois in, in the first game of the NCAA tournament, in the first round, suddenly it's like, well, Darius Nichols can probably get a, you know, mid major plus job and make $600,000. Just always like, like that's the thing about, about coaching and in college basketball, especially for a young coach. So I always understand when these coaches want to just, get into the high or get into the, the head coaching ranks because you get into a head coaching position, you bad you know, you have one or two big seasons and suddenly you're, you know, quadrupling or more your salary and uh and getting really big jobs. So I, I I do totally understand it. But yeah, I've got to say, um, not totally sure what I think about the Radford job. I will say something that also was quite interesting was Darius Nichols was on a podcast like a week before he took the job, a coaching podcast I was listening to it. And he got asked about coach 
And something he said was uh, that he uh, th- that he thought that a lot of coaches misevaluate um, how to, how you look at jobs. And he mentioned that he's not someone who looks at the quality of job based on um, what resources are available to him. And uh, I think it's like you know, I don't know if at the time he knew he was going to take Radford. It was a you know a week or two <laughs> before that job he, did. but for him to say. Oh, people just look at what resources a school has and they say, uh, you know, that's how good a job this is. And, and I don't look at it that way. It's it's relationships, relationship with your AD. It's uh, the community. I was like, yeah, that might have been a little uh, a little nod to uh, to the job he was about to take. Yeah, no, that's a really good point. Um, and so for for your. For our listeners, the the salaries as to Florida's assistance last year, uh, sunshine laws are awesome. Um <laughs> so uh, Al Pinkins was three hundred twenty-five thousand. Uh, Jordan Mincy was three hundred thousand, and Darius Nichols was oh. three hundred thousand. So okay, so that's way either, more than I thought. Yeah, so either Darius Nichols took a pay cut to become a head coach, or they're going to pay him a lot more than they had to pay Mike Jones to be head coach at uh, at Radford. But certainly, um, very happy for Darius extremely well-deserved opportunity. Uh, very gracious tweet from Mike White today, um, talking about the privilege of working with Jordan and Darius in the last seven seasons. And, um, you know, what that's meant to him at, at two programs now. Um, and I think uh, it's, it's gonna be great to, to cheer on a couple more pieces to the Mike White coaching tree, which now features uh, a Wichita State head coach, an FAU head coach, a Jacksonville head coach, and a Radford head coach. So you got a nice little out-of-conference schedule if you want it. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, I uh, I'm just uh, I did not. I'm just still thrown. I I just remember when uh, when those you know assistants first came to Florida. I think uh, where Mike White came to Florida. I think the Dusty May was the the highest, and I think he's making like 140 or something. So I was just like kind of imagining the raises. I I definitely. So yeah, I I did not know those guys made that much. But uh, I'm glad you pulled that up because that's pretty interesting to see. Like you said, he is likely taking a pay cut to go to Radford. But um, but hey, again. start that head coaching, you know, clock as it were, and, and see if he can work up and, and suddenly he can, you know, you can make a whole lot of money. But again, I don't, um, I, not, not that I can claim to be, um, you know, great friends with, with Darius Nichols. Um, but I would not say that he strikes me as someone where money is his, is his motivating factor where, you know, it is for a lot of coaches. I would not say that's the case for, for him. So, um, yeah. Interesting. It's, but, it's, um, uh, it's plays a role. <laughs> Yeah, no, his wife is a uh, successful woman of business uh, in her own right. I think that they, um, with the young young family and everything that's going on, I mean, you know, it's great. It's a great chance for him. And, you know, he's a guy that's been discussed as one of the potential people that could go to West Virginia when Bob Huggins leaves. Um, you know, and I think they're less likely to do that if he's the lieutenant at – a high major program and much more likely to do that if he's got some sort of track record as a high coach, as a head coach, even if it's at a low major school. And and so this is that opportunity too, because while we all hope Huggy Bear coaches forever, um, I think, you know, you can't, you can't imagine that he's around for more than five more years. So um, it's, it's an interesting uh, starting point, launching point for, for Darius. I think maybe a little better situation than, than Jordan Mincy got himself into. Um, Although 
you know, I was thinking that the one big benefit Jordan has is that he was the, the Florida recruiter uh, primarily um, at UF. And obviously at Jacksonville, that's probably where he looks for a lot of his talent is in state. Yeah, it's a good point. I mean, something about Atlantic Sun with uh, with Jacksonville is like you've got Liberty, who's kind of like just he- head and shoulders, I would say, above anyone else in that league in, in terms of spending. Um, so I, I think you're kind of dealing with that kind of monster. Um, and then yeah, you've got some teams like like you know North Florida that's that's been good recently, and Stetson who's had some t- some, some good teams uh, not recently, but kind of you know, whatever fears before that. And uh, so yeah, and and probably a comparable, I, I guess Atlantic Sun. <laughs> Uh, to the big South, but, uh, but yeah, just like, except they've got Liberty. Who's just, yeah, kind of a, kind of a monster, but maybe, maybe, Hey, maybe Liberty's big TV contract they signed will pump more money into the league for, for everyone. But uh, the other thing too, is like, I, I actually have no idea who left Radford, but Radford was actually a decent team last year. Um, well, I mean, I guess you can kind of see it. I mean, Radford's Radford's for you know, not the case for Jacksonville's coach beforehand. So I, I do think that, and I or and I also think I saw like eight or nine of Jacksonville's players were in the transfer portal from a team that wasn't very good. So um, I, I'm assuming there's probably a bunch of players in the portal from from Radford. But I, I would say that yeah, Nichols is probably inheriting a better roster. That is probably a better a better job. I would say. Yeah, and a similar path to Mike Jones, the guy he's replaced at Radford, who has taken the head coaching job at UNC Greensboro after ten years uh, with the Highlanders. Um, Mike Jones, a longtime assistant at Georgia, uh, so had high major experience, uh, went over to VCU and was an assistant for a couple years on a great staff and then took the Radford job in, in, uh, 2011. So, um, you know, certainly the, the credentials are similar when he arrived or were similar when Jones arrived to what they are with Darius and, and we wish him all the luck. We are breaking because we're recording this. By the time you listen, it won't be news to anyone, but WKYAT in Lexington has confirmed that Terrence Clark has passed away. So uh, we certainly lift up his family uh, in prayer and um, all of the Kentucky basketball family, uh, just horrible, horrible news um, that, makes things seem pretty insignificant on the basketball front. Uh, There was, Eric, a bit of, I would call it really good news, however, whatever ends up happening. Um, You know, maybe the juxtaposition of what happened with Clark and what happened to Keontae Johnson. Keontae's uh, post this week that uh, he will come back to Florida. um, And... He expects to be medically cleared, but he's waiting on his medical clearance. Um, And so that unfortunately led to some mischaracterizations in the media that like Florida senior returns uh, for his senior year. And that that has not happened so that people are aware of that. But your thoughts on uh, Keontae's decision not to enter the NBA draft and come back to Florida. Uh, yeah, man, I just was so happy to hear that just pretty much exclusively based on his health. Because again, I, I am kind of with what you were implying there. I think a lot of people jumped the gun on Keontae Johnson is returning to Florida to play basketball right. for his senior season. Like let's, you know, hopefully, but let's calm down for a second. I did think the wording was pretty interesting about his statement and 
you know, mm -hmm. waiting for medical clearing is not waiting for, you know, <laughs> I feel like some people were like, when a player's like, yeah, I'm just waiting for my transfer waiver from the NCAA. And you're like, oh, well, it's coming. Um, the not so casual with the waiting for medical clearance. So let's just, I, I would implore people to just show some patience. But, but again, I still had, while, while I do think that people were so quick to report on that and maybe they shouldn't have been, I, I still was overcome with joy because even if, you know, even even with that, he hasn't yet been cleared. It's still like, well, you know, he's doing well enough that he thinks he's going to be cleared. And if nothing else, that speaks to at least some level of, of health for him. And I think that that's just amazing. And the fact that he um, sees basketball in his future, that's amazing. So, yeah, I was just uh, really overjoyed to hear that. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, it was uh, really incredible just to see that some of the Instagram videos recently where he's been playing basketball, um, you know, so obviously deemed healthy enough to, to get out and jog and shoot and do stuff like that. Um, which even if he never plays competitively again, I think it's wonderful. Um, because he clearly has so much to offer the game, uh, based on what coach Nichols and coach white and coach Pinkins, and Coach Mincy said about having him uh, in the assistance room last year. Um, I kind of sensed it was coming that he would return. Um, you know, he's, you know, you hate to read too much into these things, but it seemed like his family was very behind Mike White around a lot of the noise that has been circulating White in the program. Um, and, you know, you saw some of that stuff on social media. You saw some, things from Keontae's girlfriend who is an athlete at Florida. Uh, and I think all signs kind of pointed to whether he plays or not, Keontae really enjoying being a Gator and, and uh, staying around to get his degree and, and see where things go from there. So if, for me, uh, obviously the highlight of the week with, with the Terrence Clark news being just absolute rock. So uh, we cut off and, and we're restarting our recording. And I had just said it, it's difficult to juxtapose uh, the good news about Keontae with the terrible news about Terrence Clark, Eric. Yeah, that's uh, just a kind of thinking about the uh, kind of how bad we're feeling that day and just, uh, yeah, kind of how bad we're feeling now and uh, the, the outcome that was so different. Um yeah, it's 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 very weird, and trying to process it in real time on the podcast here is is pretty yeah. bizarre. And uh, yeah, just <laughs> really feeling, uh, yeah, really feeling for for that family. That is just terrible. And uh, but uh, but again, just uh, to, to circle back to to Keontae, just filled filled with hope at the fact that uh, that he is uh, you know healthy enough to uh, else have the the uh, to be able to be out there shooting and, and doing some um some light sprints and, and getting some workouts in and he's always dancing on instagram live so he's definitely at least feeling uh <laughs> feeling uh, pretty good so um you know if he if he does play is it going to be 100 percent keontae is it going to be 75 percent i mean i kind of feel like we'll cross that bridge when we get to it because uh you know it's until we know for sure and, and until people are able to really see him out there i'm just going to be happy for the fact that he is is feeling healthy and uh when we find out if he's playing basketball and uh, totally clear, cleared, then we can kind of start to be like, okay, what do we, you know, what do we expect? I guess. Yeah, and I think that's, you know, I got a couple of questions. What does Florida look like with Keontae Johnson? And I said, it's so hard to answer that question because 
we don't know what that looks like. Uh, we don't know what Keontae Johnson playing basketball again looks like. I'm not trying to cop out. I'd love to talk about, you know, I think obviously if you had a, a guy that was going to be an All-American <laughs> last year to your to your roster, uh, you know, that you ha- already have this very balanced roster, you know, yeah, you probably go from where they are now, which is uh, I saw Joe Lenardi's bracketology, one of the last four buys. Uh, you probably go from last four buys to SEC championship contender, probably. Um, but we can't really answer uh, any of those questions. Um, what we can do, I think, is talk a little bit about the players that are uh, involved. And I think with Noah Gurley electing to go to Alabama since our last show, um, the question that has been raised to me on some of these uh, in some of the Twitter forums, and then I'm sure to you on the Gator country forums where, where you're the go-to guy uh, is does Florida have enough inside? And I think that's kind of, I'm not just going to read like all 20 listener questions about that. I just said, you know what, Eric and I are going to talk about it on season review part five. <laughs> yeah, I'm actually not super concerned. Uh, I, I know some people are saying, oh, Florida needs to go get a backup center in the portal. And it's like, what, first of all, that's a tough thing to go and get um, to try to sell a player on like, okay, uh, you, you're going to play behind Colin Castleton. Uh, so, you know, maybe you get 12 minutes a game and you're also going to be competing with a third year player and, um, you know, maybe Felder's in that mix. So that, that's a tough sell. So everyone who's like, oh, Florida needs to go get a good backup center. It's like, you know, maybe, but uh, I'm not sure they have a very good pitch to, to that kind of player. But I, I will say I would be totally comfortable if it's called and then CJ Felder playing those backup center minutes because um, I think Felder is totally capable there. I mean, he when you look at what do you want out of a center and you look at uh, what are the benchmarks you've kind of got to reach there, it's like, well, CJ Felder is an awesome rim protector and an awesome rebounder. So it's like, yeah, he might be a little bit undersized, but it's like, what are you really losing there? Again, like just as a reference point, um, Omar Payne last year, the backup center, I mean, Omar Payne's listed it you know, 6'10". I mean, he was 6'8 in high school. Did he grow to 6'10"? Maybe. I think looking at him, he was closer to 6'8". Of course, he had like a ridiculous wingspan. But, uh, you know, was he someone who was physically imposing on the inside? It's like, no, he got pushed around a whole lot in the SEC. I don't think Felder would be pushed around like that. Um, Omar Payne wasn't like like some shots, but his rim protection was not great overall. His numbers were bad. Uh, I don't think he was able to kind of leverage his leaping ability and, and length to be a great rim protector. So I think Felder's there and Felder's a better defensive rebounder. So I, I think Felder would be awesome as Florida's backup center, as well as I, I think starting power forward. Um, so if we see a lot of games where Felder or, you know, maybe maybe sprinkle in Jason Jatobo, who I think, or we think can be really effective if he is, uh, if he's healthy, I'm actually pretty satisfied with Florida's front court right now. Yeah. I mean, I think when you add the fact that you're going to have an all SEC center returning who, who, uh, you know, who's probably going to get better as an offensive player uh, based on just what he's working on already, which is just a little bit of a jump shot to make defenses extend on him to make him a little less easy to double immediately. Um, you know, I think 
if he can start farther away from the basket sometimes, it definitely becomes a little harder to double him all the time because you can move him around on the floor. Um, I think, uh, you know, he's got that high-level shot cl- shot blocking ability that, that makes him a good four-and-one type player uh, underneath. And you have C.J. Felder who had the two, two, 2.2 blocks per game um, in the ACC, which is a pretty good number and, and can clearly play in there. We haven't mentioned – uh, Florida Gators honors graduate uh, Anthony Derugi is another guy that that can bang down there, um, you know, and I think has kind of gotten lost in the mix. Uh, it's funny, funny story for our listeners. I was just messing around with rotations, which we're going to talk about here a little bit in a little bit, and sent Eric a text and completely forgot Anthony Derugi. So uh, <laughs> it's not it's not just all of you, but I, I do think Anthony can play. Uh, a little bit at the four at times. Um, and then Jason Jatobo and kind of a, are you going to be a power six player or are you going to transfer out type season? So uh, I'm okay with what Florida has. And to Eric's point, which I think is very important. I don't know after Gurley, what really you're going to get. I mean, it seems like every new name that comes in the portal, that's really good is a guard. And I don't think Florida's going to go that direction. And I still think it's possible that they add a high school big, uh, at this point, although I suppose one presumable target, Ben Middlebrooks, uh, signed with uh, Clemson uh, this week. So, um, and chose to reclassify, which was news to me, which means it was news to everybody, but probably Clemson. Um, <laughs> so, Eric, you know, your thoughts on on maybe Anthony also impacting that rotation. And congrats to him, by the way. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Congratulations to him. And uh, the thing, the thing is, like, I think Drugi's better than he showed last season. Uh, kind of looking at what he was at Louisiana Tech and looking at what he brought Florida last year, I just, yeah, I just, I think he's better than than what he showed. I was kind of always waiting for him to, I don't want to say flip the switch because I don't think it was, you know, it's not that simple. But uh, yeah, I just think whether it was his uh, kind of ability to handle the ball a little bit and just attack with a few bounces or whether it was his jump shot that just never really found consistency. Uh, I just, I I think he can be better. I think he is better. Uh, So uh, whether that kind of comes together in year five, we'll see. I mean, oftentimes I I look at these players that, and and I think, you know, we maybe saw with Kerry Blackshear, people are expecting some big leap from year four to five uh, that just, doesn't always happen. And I would say usually doesn't oftentimes you kind of are in year five, what you were in year four, but uh, with in Jeruji's case, I just actually think that he was not as he, he did not show as good as he actually is. And for someone who started the season with a whole bunch of hiccups due to COVID uh, maybe that was just, he just didn't start the season on, on level footing and just kind of couldn't get it rolling the whole season. Maybe that was it because yeah, I do think he can be better, but I, I've got to say right now, in my mind, CJ Felder is the starting four. I think he's ahead of Anthony Drugi in, in, in my depth chart. Um, we'll, we'll see, I guess, by the time uh, it's a whole lot of time between now and, and the season. So we'll see what happens there. But uh, uh, I think that's a lot of it is just that I think Felder's really good. It's not any me trying to disparage Anthony Derugi, but um, you know, if I could say one thing about Keontae Johnson and uh, yeah, that'll be, that'll be it. Um, I do wonder if Keontae Johnson plays for both the success of the Florida Gators basketball team, as well as um, if for 
Keontae Johnson's pro kind of career, um, I really wonder if they actually look at moving Keontae Johnson to the three. Um, and I think that if Florida were to want to put their best basketball players on the floor, um, a- including Keontae Johnson, I think that it would be Felder at the four, Keontae Johnson at the three, um, Colin Castleton at the, at the five. And then, you know, you figure out your guards from there with the new guys coming in. But um yeah, I think Felder's that good. I think Keontae Johnson uh, on the wing could be really interesting. So um, I know we're talking uh, Anthony Deruji here, uh, and it kind of went into me talking about Felder and maybe Keontae Johnson. But uh, what do you what do, what do you think? Like uh, this, I guess this is my question, you Neil. Like I, I have Felder, I would say comfortably ahead of Deruji right now in my in my mental depth chart. Uh, I, do you disagree? To what extent do you agree or disagree? I mean, I actually agree uh, pretty significantly with you. And, and I I think that for how many years have we done, I guess Keontae is a senior, so that would be four. We've basically said, man, it would be it would be super awesome if we could get Keontae Johnson in a situation where he could play small forward. Um, because, well, I don't – look, I think Keontae's handles – and I know I'm not alone on this, and I also know that Eric – writes about the NBA draft. So take what I say here about half as seriously as you take what Eric says. (laughs) But what I've heard is that, uh, and what I've seen with my own eyes is that Keontae can handle the ball. Okay. Uh, He's not a bad guy handling the ball. If you can isolate somebody in, in the power six at the top of half court, when you need a bucket like Florida did last season uh, or season before last, I guess now, uh, he's going to be okay off the bounce. And if you attack closeouts as good as Keontae does, you're okay off the bounce. My question is, um, you know, for him as a pro, I don't think it's two guard handles, but I do think he's big enough and physical enough to play small forward in the NBA, even though he's a little undersized. So I also think it helps. His yeah, it's a good process. point. And I, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I mean, the thing is, like, I know he's listed at six five. Like, I think he's probably closer to six three than he is six five. To be honest, that, I don't know. Maybe we'll we'll see when he one day uh, hopefully is at the NBA Combine. But uh, but yeah, I, I do think for for him as a pro, it's it's got to be as a, as a, as a wing. I just don't think he's going to be. Um, yeah, I know we've obviously for years used the Grant Williams comparison. Uh, Grant Williams, someone who's played a little bit five at the NBA and, and mostly plays the four. Uh, I don't think that's quite what Keontae Johnson is going to do. So yeah, I'm sure he would like to play. Uh, he'd play on the wing more. I'm sure that uh, his agent, if he has one in mind right now, or eventually his agent uh, would, would like him to play on the wing. And, and once again, I just think there's so many times where you need to be able to put your best five basketball players on the court, kind of no matter what. And to me, again, that, that would be presuming Keontae Johnson is, Keontae Johnson in, in any capacity uh, is going to be him and Felder and Con Castleton um, all on the floor at once. So uh, yeah, that, 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 that'd be a great problem to have. I'd love for Keontae Johnson to be totally healthy and this to be a problem we can talk about. Yeah. And I mean, the comparison I've made for three seasons, as you know, is Admiral Schofield, but, but a little bit better at basketball. Um, and I'm not knocking Admiral Schofield, all SEC player. I just think Keontae is an all American player when he's, when the heart's good and everything's okay. And that makes him a better version of Admiral Schofield. So if, if Tennessee fans were actually like listening to us and, and hating, hate away, I think Admiral's great. But when he went to the combine and Tennessee had listed him at six, six, his whole career, uh, he very quickly became six, five and barely six, five. And, um, 
you know, I mean, he's averaging almost a double-double a night for the Greensboro Swarm. So, uh, by the way, like, people don't realize how good the G League is. So, like, that's pretty impressive stuff. It's just not quite an NBA guy. And I think Keontae will break through, assuming that he's okay. I think he can play in the NBA for sure. Um, but, yeah, I'm with Eric. I don't know if he's really – I think he might be 6'4 just because I sat near the bench this year and like he looked as tall as Niles Lane, and I don't think Niles Lane is six mm. three. But um, <laughs> but you know, maybe, maybe, I don't know. Uh it's tough to say. So yeah, I think that's a, a really good take. I did want to get one transfer question in, which was um if Florida would be interested in Daryl Morsell. Uh and I think you're talking about obviously a pretty high-level player there. Uh, who I guess Florida had contacted. Um, so any thoughts on that potential addition or, or where you are on what they're going to do with the open roster spot? Uh, yeah, I don't think they're going to get more sell, but I, I, I'm pretty interested in him. I know a lot of people just look, look at his three-point percentage or are instantly not interested or they, they kind of view him as a two-guard and say, oh, well, Florida's got all these two-guards. But I, I, I think he's like a Lydix 5. He's long, great defender. To me, as roster is currently constructed, um, which I guess would be not Keontae Johnson for, you know, at this very snapshot, um, I, I think Marcel very comfortably fits into your start as your starting small forward if the Gators were to get him. So yeah. I, the other thing, too, is, is uh, so again, yeah, he's probably like a, a small forward um, for Florida, but, you know, 6'5", long arms. Yeah, not great size at the three, but good size at the three. But he can also handle the ball a little bit. And again, I think people look at his not great point total and his lack of a three-point shot, and they say, oh, that guy's not skilled. He's not a good scorer. And it's just like, you know, I watch him, and I I, I think he can handle the ball. I think he can do a lot of things. He just, you know, the jump shot has just always kind of betrayed him. But he does a lot well other than that. So um, I'm probably interested in him more than a lot of Florida fans who seem not interested in him. But, uh, yeah, do, do, do I think Florida's going to get him? Uh, I haven't heard anything that would suggest that. But, yeah, I'm, I'm a fan of him. Yeah, I don't think they are either. I think he's probably going to go to Marquette, which is there's a lot of uh, connections there, including the fact that uh, he very nearly went to play for Shaka Smart to begin with. Um, but that's just the start of it. So I think um, probably not a guy Florida's going to get. I love glue guys, and I think he's kind of like one of those consummate dudes that just does a little of everything, uh, gets dirty. I think Florida has a couple of those guys. Like I mean, I think anyone that watches Tyree Appleby play – and watches how he gets under opposing opposing team's skin, and he just he's not like an elite defender, but he gets after it defensively, and he does produce turnovers that produce baskets by some of the chances that he takes, and he's physical, and he plays through a bloody nose in the NCAA tournament. I mean, you can be a guard and be a glue guy, and Tyree Appleby is definitely that. I think people are going to find out that C.J. Felder fits that role uh, very, very quickly. Um, so I think Florida has a couple of those people, but obviously Marcel would be like on a different level as the reigning Big Ten Defensive Player of the Year. Uh, so um, certainly somebody I'd be interested in. But I'm again, I'm not totally sure what Florida's going to do with that last spot. I think right now more interesting is that you have two vacancies on your staff, Eric, uh, and you know it's curious as to how they're going to fix them. I'm still steadfast in my belief that the team needs an offensive coordinator. The only one that I've heard they've spoken with is Chris Acker. Yeah, I think that that's, uh, that's the biggest thing. And again, uh, I've kind of made it known on several occasions on the podcast. I, I, I feel like there's people have always 
looked at potential assistant coaches and they say, oh, how can they recruit? Are they good recruiters? What kind of players can they get? And I know I've said it multiple times. I'll say it again. I, I think that recruiting is about to become very overrated uh, in terms of coaches that, you know, if you're a recruiter first and that's all you bring to the table, those guys have really flourished for a lot of years. And a lot of them are making a whole <laughs> lot of money for uh, for a lot of programs. Um Look at the transfer portal right now and look at all these teams that are they're bringing talent without, you know, quote unquote, ace recruiters. So, yeah, I obviously, you know, want Florida to get someone who can recruit. You still have got you still have to recruit, you know, the transfer portal. It is just very different than high school recruiting. But, man, yeah. I just think you really you you just need guys who can coach. You you need to guys that can scout. You need guys that can develop like you need you, you, you need really good coaching. And I, I do think it's awesome. Like I, I, the first one I saw do it was was Texas, who, man, did they ever put together a freaking staff um, pulling two <laughs> you know, good, good mid-major head coaches to be assistant coaches. Uh, that's crazy. Um, and then even yeah. um, their their special assistant to the head coach, their their ops guys, their film guys. Um, and then I saw so I saw them you know tweet out their graphic and and really promote their staff. I saw Loyola do it. Uh, there's a couple teams that have done it and it's just showed me like man, there are some teams that the the caliber of coaching they have and it's not just their three assistants, it's their advanced scouts, um, it's their film guys, it's their special assistant to the head coaches, um, it's their scouting directors, like. Um, yeah, I just think that's kind of the next arms race thing in, in college basketball is to, to to have great staff. So I, you know, I see these teams that I'm like, oh man, like Texas just to put together an absolute squad, um, and then I see Florida with two vacancies. It's like, oh man, like yeah, Florida's got to get moving. But but again, I just I, I think you need guys that can that can really really coach. And 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 Neil, you've you've been the first person to say it. Um, I've just been echoing it ever since. Yeah, the offensive coordinator, um, someone who can just really change the face of this team offensively. I, that's, in my opinion, that's got to be order number one, two, and three. Yeah, I mean, I just think it's got to be the priority. Um, and, you know, if it is Chris Acker, I think that would be a great hire. Uh, I think you have a, a really smart, young basketball mind there and and uh, obviously has done wonders at San Diego state in in just a couple of years. Uh, and it was in a situation where he was hired by Brian Dutcher who had waited so long to become a head coach. And I think I've told you this off air, but I don't know if I told our listeners and like, if you're a guy like Brian Dutcher, who was a lifelong assistant, right. And kind of a, an Eric Spolstra story in that he just was a video coordinator. And then he was a stats guy before analytics were analytics. And he gets this job at San Diego state at like 58, right. Which is late to become a head coach at a school. That's not a power six school, but is a very, very good mid major. Um, and he entrusts his whole offensive pro the offense of his first program to like this 30 something year old, dude and uh i mean they were going to be a one seed in the covid year and they were going to be it because they were elite offensively yeah they're really good and and you know i actually watched um of course you know uh, i i uh, i did have the uh the impression in my head that they were going to easily take care of syracuse in the ncaa tournament and of course it's very <laughs> wrong but I did watch that game, and it was actually interesting. I, I thought that uh, San Diego State actually ran some some pretty good stuff. I just feel like, uh, man, Syracuse is just uh, Syracuse is so good. But but, but watching <laughs> um, even watching that NCAA tournament game, I'm like, I actually think that San Diego State was was prepared. I thought they they ran good stuff and uh, just got just got beat. And uh, man, I think Syracuse is awesome. Like I, I yeah, I really don't like Bayheim. 
Um, he just kind of rubs <laughs> me the wrong way. Um, but man, I, I, I love watching the way that they play defense. I think it's just miraculous. So, uh, watching a couple, you know, San Diego state, uh, games this year, um, and watching a whole bunch last year, it's like, man, they can really score the ball. I'm very glad for the work that he did with, uh, Malachi Flynn, who is going to be a future star for my Toronto Raptors. Love that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I, it's, it is tough to quantify assistant coaches, but he's kind of known as the assistant or the, uh, the offensive coordinator there. They run really good offense. So, uh, man, it makes sense to me. Yeah. You know, and I, I, if he can work the kind of wonders he worked with Yanni Wetzel too, like, I mean, please get like any number of Florida's, uh, he's almost so good at offense dudes in his, <laughs> uh, in his system. Like give me Sam or and even Anthony DeRucci in the Yanni Wetzel program and let's see what happens. Right. Um, but yeah, so I think that's that's one option. I, I know that we've heard some other names. Uh, Eddie Shannon, I guess we could spend some time on on Eddie. What Eddie, a couple advantages to Eddie would be he'd be coming home. Uh, I think that that injects the program with a certain level of energy that I think is needed when you lose a guy like Darius Nichols, to be honest, um, who also in a, the other thing we didn't say about Darius is that he's kind of the consummate players coach. Um, and so I think getting somebody like Eddie in uh, that that has a reputation as somebody who bonds with with players uh, very quickly uh, and can be an advocate for players in tough coaches meetings, um, you got that adds staff balance, um, and I think that's good. Uh, so certainly could see some advantages there. And then of course he played for Billy Donovan uh, and was Billy Donovan's point guard on a very, very, very good Sweet 16 team. Casey Calvary was over the back. <laughs> yes. Um, I look forward to the next, uh, you know, three-on-three event in Edmonton where I can look Casey Calvary in the eye once again and ask him if it was a foul and see if he will get as upset as he did the one time that I last did that. <laughs> but um, I, I do, you know, Eddie Shannon is, uh, uh, yeah, I really do like Eddie Shannon. I, I, I think that um, – there's a couple of things to really like about him. I mean, like you said, he played for um, Billy Donovan and Billy Donovan is someone who speaks very highly about him as an offensive mind. Um, Chattanooga is a team that has ran really good offense and had really good guards and had really good success with high major transfers. So like, well, one, Eddie Shannon is, you know, went and got high major transfers to Chattanooga. Um, so that's pretty impressive. And, and they haven't missed that. You, you look at the guys that they've had from the high major ranks that have gone, gone there. They've done super, super well. Um, I, I like the style they play um, offensively and, and they've done really well for, for the players that they have in, in that league. Um, and man, the other thing too, is like, um, again with uh with their league that they're in, like there is some fantastic basketball and some fantastic coaching in that league. Um, in, yeah. in the SoCon, I mean, like, with Wofford, like there was Mike young there, um, with, uh, with East Tennessee state, there was Steve Forbes there. Um, What's his? Oh, why can't I think of the best coach? Uh, Bob Ritchie at Furman. He is fantastic. Like that. So he's he's from a league that plays really really good basketball. Um, I can actually go on about any Shadden. Um, you know, people <laughs> from West Palm Beach absolutely love him. Um, so I think that he's someone who instantly has a whole bunch of clout in that area of the state. Uh, and the other thing, you know, he's, he's he is a similar even personality. I would say to Darius Nichols, and I'm not saying that they're trying to go one for one replacement for Darius. 
Chris Nichols, but but Eddie Shannon does have a very similar demeanor. Um, guys that are you know maybe a little bit more like I'll, I'll use the term reserved. That's uh, not exactly the word I'm looking for, but again, not boisterous, not like corny assistant coach. Um, yeah. And I think that again, like kids are quieter now, and I think that that's part of the reason they really connected with with Darius Nichols. And um, and then the last thing, I mean, it, it, I would say it's pretty clear that that um, that Mike White likes guys that are loyal. Um, you look at the fact that Dusty May was with him forever, that Jordan Mincy was with him forever, and the fact that Darius Nichols was with him forever. I, I mean, there's a couple names that you know I've heard Florida is after, and a couple of them are you know really good young name young guys in the profession. But I, I look at a lot of the guys that Florida's after, and I mean like I, they're just probably at Florida for a year or two, and then they're taking another job, whether it's a head job or an assistant. Other, you know, there's a couple mercenaries that Florida's that I've heard Florida's after, and you know like there's something to be said about, about those kind of guys, but like, man, you know, Mike White likes having the same assistance. He likes continuity. You get any Eddie Shannon, he's going to be the most passionate Gator for, you know, a, a long time. I, I would have to guess. Yeah. I mean, I, I completely agree. And I mean, I, I would, I would advocate for Eddie in, in a situation where it was one of those two spots and you were bringing in a coordinator. I would, I would think that would be really the best, fit for for florida another option that um has been batted around a little bit and another gator uh is james kane um who spent three seasons at iowa state uh, uh was let go when the new staff came in at replacing steve prom um but uh kane is an interesting guy was a video coordinator and a manager um for billy so he kind of has that background um which is pretty interesting, uh, you know, student video coordinator um, and then a, a student manager then took a video coordinator. I mean, talk about a Spolstra type, took a video <laughs> job at, at Alabama and was the video coordinator at Alabama for Anthony Grant, um, who speaks so highly of him and hired him at Dayton, by the way. Um, and then, uh, you know, was at Murray State, was instrumental in identifying and saying we should offer – hey, we really need to offer a scholarship to this John Morant guy that I just saw play. Uh, so his reputation is a little more as the ace recruiter, but I think maybe that's kind of unfair to him because of his origins as a guy who wasn't a player but was just kind of like in love with basketball. Like if, we, if and when Eric Fawcett becomes a high-level assistant – at some sort of power six program, the path to me is sort of James King. <laughs> uh, well, you know, when, uh, when Rob Doster was uh, once on the podcast, I promised that if Florida ever got another white assistant that I would exclusively refer to him as the ace recruiter. So uh, if, if James Kane does come to Florida, I will have to ride that. Uh, I'll have to keep that bit going and, and I will exclusively refer to him as an ace recruiter. Like so many media members um, talk about black assistants. So uh, I, I'm glad you said that about James Kane. We'll see if it comes true, but uh, yeah, I just, you know, there's a couple of people that, that I reached out to that, that know him and uh, they said they all love him. They all respect him and, and say he's a really good guy. So uh, good coaching record. Um, and, uh, some guys that I trust, um, said that he's a good dude and, and a friend of theirs. So, uh, definitely an interesting name. Uh, it seemed like it was getting battered around, um, um a whole bunch on this day that we're recording. So, uh, that's definitely one to watch. Yeah, no, um, he's from Fort Lauderdale too. So, uh, ties to the area where I am at for most of the recordings. Um, and you know, actually funny story on James Kane. So, 
his name was getting batted around. Eric brought it up, and I thought, you know, I'm pretty sure that I've crossed paths with him a couple times. And then I remembered that uh, I actually tailgated with James Kane when he was a head coach, when he was an assistant coach at Murray State and came down for a Florida game uh, to see the Gators play football. Uh, so we actually tailgated before a very famous game, the Florida-Tennessee game, where uh, Antonio Callaway took a pass to the house and, and Florida came back from 14 points down with five minutes to go. So, uh, James, if you run across this show, uh, it was fun tailgating with you on a giant school bus. Um, and, and people thought we were like really weird because we like spent two hours talking basketball on a tailgate. But uh, I don't think that surprised a single one of our listeners that I was doing that. But that's oh, my cross that's, that's my kind of tailgate. Whenever I can get down for a football game, we'll have to. Hopefully it's a night game and we can allot two hours of basketball talk uh, before devoting the rest to, to football. But, but uh, that, that's great. You have uh, some kind of connection with them. But, uh, yeah, that's yeah. definitely the most uh, – I would say the most, uh, I guess, recent name um, that's come out. And uh, so, yeah, I'd say that that's uh, definitely one one worth uh, keeping a close eye on. So that's um, – you know, there's not a lot more – I say it seems like – a less interesting week, but I wanted to close with um, the, the Myron Jones questions because a couple of the questions that we had on Myron Jones, I thought were two good ones for you. And you had written an article on Myron and we're going to do the rotation stuff that I talked about next time folks, because I want to kick off a show with, with a conversation about Florida's rotations. Um, but let's, let's talk Myron Jones for a minute. The questions were um, as a, is, is he a true combo guard in that he doesn't necessarily need a lot of the ball to score? I think the answer to that is very simply yes. Uh, and then the second question, um, how much volume do you think he needs to be effective, which I think is a little more interesting, Eric. Yeah, that's a very interesting question. Um, first of all, is he a combo? I mean, I know you kind of just answered that and moved on. Uh, obviously when you're shocking combo guards, you're usually talking about someone who can play a little bit of point and a, a little bit off guard. Um, I don't really see Myron Jones as, as someone who can be very effective at, at point guard. So like to me, like Myron Jones is like as pure a uh, shooting guard kind of as it gets. Like you look at his uh, almost like, you know, if I had to use the term old school point guard because Penn state also ran him off so many screens, um, so he was someone who, yeah, came off a lot of pin downs for catch and shoot attempts. I mean, that's some old school straight ahead shooting guard play. Uh, he did have some moments kind of getting the ball reversed to him, take a ball screen on the second side. So yeah, he did some handling there. Don't think he was, he was great. Um, but yeah, to me, he is like as pure shooting guard as it comes. I probably wouldn't classify him as a combo guard. I know this is like pure semantics, but no, that um, makes yeah. sense. That's why we have podcasts to, uh, to <laughs> talk about these things for too long, but, um, hit the volume question. Very, very interesting, and uh, I do think they have to give him a whole lot of shots because he is someone who I do think, as I kind of talked about, is is very streaky. I think he's got a pretty funky release, um, not fundamentally sound. You would not probably teach someone to shoot that way, um, but that's obviously something he's gotten pretty comfortable with. And you know, and again, you look at his percentages, and you know, forty plus percent three point shooter. And, I know a lot of people are going to be like, oh, yeah, well, he's a great shooter. And, you know, he, he definitely is. But, yeah, he's very prone to the one for nine game. And then he follows it up with the five for six game. Uh, it's because of that inconsistent shooting stroke. So, again, I think Florida kind of has to give him a lot of shots because he's if, if, you, if he shoots five times, 
um, he's going to have games that he's 0 for 5. There, there's no question. So I think Florida's got to give him kind of the, the steady diet of 12 shots a game so that that 40% from three, um, so that's that, that starts to bear out. When you've got someone who's an inconsistent shooter, you've got to give them more volume so that it balances out to the percentages that he's shown he can do at a high volume. If you use him, you know, sparsely, you're going to have games where, you know, we come on the podcast and we're like, oh, and uh, Myron Jones had three points and was one for seven. Um, so, yeah, what a, what a great question, Neil. I don't think you said who maybe asked that question. I don't know if it's in front of you, but that's a very good question. Um, very intelligent basketball question. And I will say that, yes, they actually do need to give him a good amount of volume for him to be effective. Yeah, so that's at uh, Chips and KSO. <laughs> Chips and KSO. Okay. Uh, big, big NBA guy, but a really great question for uh, for us on Myron Jones. What I'll add to it is it's interesting sometimes that one thing that I maybe my favorite feature and why I keep coming back to Ken Palm, even though I like Bartorovic a lot, I like Evan Maya a lot. I especially like the fact that I don't have to worry so much about the baked in algorithm that overvalues certain things in the preseason on Ken Palm, but I love player comparisons. And when it comes to Myron Jones, it's super interesting to me that his player comparisons last year, two of them are guys with funky jump shots that needed lots of volume, Malik Newman and Kenny Boynton. Um, and if you, if you watch videos of either, uh, whether it's Newman's kind of like super high release or it's uh, just Kenny Boynton's really funky shooting motion um, and wind up almost – uh, which made him like the four-point play god in the history of SEC basketball. He still is the all-time SEC leader in four-point plays. Um, <laughs> and I think some of it was that elongated shooting motion. But once the ball got up, it was out really fast and almost kind of line-drived uh, to the basket and went in a lot, but he required high volume. Billy Donovan said you know, him and Anthony Roberson were the two highest-volume guys that he ever coached. They, they just needed lots of shots. Wasn't like Mike Rosario who had a beautiful stroke and you could use him off the bench and, you know, maybe Mike was hot that night. Maybe he wasn't, but the shot was going to look the same. Samson Resensev, I think is a great example uh, on the current team of somebody that has a beautiful shooting stroke. Um, I mean, quite honestly, Eric, I, there were times this season where I was stunned. The ball didn't go in um, when he's as open as he is, you know what I mean? So, but I, yeah, I, I think it's a wonderful question. And yes, I think Florida has to get, he's a guy that's going to have to get shots up. Yeah. And it's, again, I'm very interested to know where those come from because yeah, Penn state used him off screens a whole lot. And that's something that Florida didn't do for Noah Locke. They have not done it in Mike White's tenure. They just haven't ran shooters off screens a whole lot. So uh, when you're looking at comparisons for what Myron Jones brings, uh, it's like, okay, well, you know, he had 15 points a game or whatever, but he did it playing a style that Florida has not shown they want to play. So will they start doing that? You know, maybe. And uh, again, with, with Myron Jones uh, going through his clips on synergy, um, I don't think that big 10, the, a lot of teams just like didn't figure out how to guard him. I thought, which was like kind of funny because again, so he shoots the ball from like the left side of his body. Again, like Lonzo ball is the guy that kind of most recently, do this and get made fun of a lot. So, so Myron Jones has that, like bring the ball over from his left side. So you kind of saw that, like he, he kind of to shoot the ball off the dribble, he needs to be going to his left because imagine him dribbling to his right with his right hand. Then to try to get into his jump shot, he's got to pick the ball up, 
bring it to his left and then get into a shooting motion. So if he attacked a closeout to his left, he was very, very likely to pull up because, you know, he's dribbling with his left hand. It's a, the ball's on his left hip, which is what he wants to do to, to bring the ball up to shoot. So again, you saw with how teams defend Lonzo Ball in the NBA when he first came to the NBA, they just like would not allow him to get to the left hand uh, because they knew if they took him to his right, he just would not be able to pull up. So again, Myron Jones had a whole lot. He One of the things that Myron Jones did really well is score in the mid-range. And he scored off kind of floaters and, and mid-range jump shots, pull-ups. Um, but again, I just think a team that scouts well and a team that has players that can adapt to that. Um, yeah, Myron Jones got to figure something out. Or, you know, I, I think some of the better coached, better scouted teams in the SEC are going to kind of swallow that up. So again, I just, I, I'm very interested in the usage of, of Myron Jones because between his mid-range game that I think good scouting in the SEC is not going to allow to happen and the fact that he just went off screens so much at Penn State and there's nothing that Florida has done in the last six years to suggest that they're going to run him off a bunch of screens. Uh, I'm just interested to see exactly what his usage is, but um, yeah, particularly off this you know initial question that uh, me and Neil both said, yeah, we need to, we need to give him a lot of shots. I muted myself, everybody. Sorry. So another, uh, another, another thought I had on that is like Florida really would have liked Noah Locke to be a little bit better of a transition three-point shooter. And I don't know, I haven't looked at Myron Jones' number. We know that Florida likes to race guys to the corner and try to get shots up that way as opposed to getting them off screens. And then also with the possibility of Keontae Johnson coming back, I don't want to get too hopeful about that, but let's assume it's Flan- it's there's no Keontae and it's Tyree Appleby and Flanders Fleming attacking the rim, right? And Anthony Deruji may be actually using his athleticism attacking the rim some, or Colin Castleton catching, recognizing the double and kicking. Like I think you're going to have a lot more inside out three type opportunities for Myron Jones, and can he hit those? Yeah, yeah, his numbers uh, actually are really good. Um, he hits uh, well. Uh, yeah, not not his normal number, but he was uh, he was thirty eight percent in transition threes, which is really good. Again, I think people think about transition threes and they think it's always such a good shot and they're, they're such coveted attempts. You don't see that in the numbers, like three points, three point shooting in, in transition. I, it's just tough. I mean, players coming to a sprint, they've got to get their feet set uh, inherently. I mean, if you're about to sprint fifty feet to the three point line, your legs are going to be a little bit tired. Um, legs are everything when it comes to shooting. Um, again, you're sprinting down the sideline. You, you're trying to find your feet. You're trying to find the ball. You catch it, and suddenly you got to find the rim. Uh, yeah, shooting shooting threes in transition can be tough, but but Myron Jones, um, yeah, he did pretty well, and that's one thing I do like about Myron Jones's game. He took eighteen point nine percent of his shots in transition, which is a whole lot. So uh, yeah, maybe I don't remember what Noah Locks is off the top of my head, but uh, I, yeah, I think that well, you know, Myron Jones did shoot the three well in transition last year. Uh, hopefully, he could do it again. Yeah, Noah's was better this year than it had been his whole career, but still only at 36.5. So, um, you know, it did get better. Uh, but, yeah, I think people that fall in love with that, like, watch the NBA playoffs. Yeah. And, like, don't, don't watch as much basketball. So, like, there really is a, a functional distinction between, like, well, Tyler Hero actually played well last night, so I can use him in this example. Between, like, Tyler Hero picking up and transition and just popping a three – uh, and like your run of the mill college two guard, not that Myron Jones is a run of the mill college two guard, but you get the point I'm making. I mean, there's, there's a genuine distinction between that and, and yeah, it's not always the greatest shot in the world. 
Um, but if they're not going to run him off screens, how do you get easy looks? Um, and that's, that's kind of the question that I have about him too. So great, great listener question to close the show. We will be back. Uh, I think Florida, if Florida doesn't hire an assistant coach in the next week, that's fine. We'll, we'll deal with it. We're going to, um, Definitely have plenty to talk about on the rotations front. And then I think to close season reviews, one thing we haven't done is given like letter grades to each individual season of the, return, of the returning players. So we'll tease that. Uh, it's something that, that I've heard on a few podcasts that I think is really fun. And, um, you know, like we can give Niles Lane an incomplete because he should have played more than 81 minutes. But um, I'm just going to stand. I've decided until like he's on the floor yeah. unapologetically. Um, but yeah, no, that's, so that's, that's coming up on the next show and we thank you all for listening.